You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. with us before. We are in the midst of a series that is all about building what we call formative friendship, and this series is called A Coal in the Fire. Uh, This is the third installment of this series, and so if you've missed any of those, they're all online. You can listen back, but I want to start this morning talking about the importance of, uh, of staying open to ideas, possibilities, and experiences to which you may feel an inclination to resist. So staying open to ideas, possibilities, and experiences to which you may feel an inclination to resist. And I'll start with an example. Um, I'm not proud of this at all, but um, I spent more than half of my life holding a pretty deep and personal prejudice. And it wasn't something that was super obvious to everyone around me, um, but inside, I knew I was filled with so much contempt. And so to say that I felt disdain, or disgust still may not be strong enough to describe the emotions that kept me closed off to this particular reality. Because I was so certain that it was objectively gross, it was not until my mid-20s that I learned what a gift to the world guacamole was. (laughs) Now, I really want to know, how nervous were you there for the first couple of years? Like, was our pastor a racist? Like, what is going (laughs) to... I wasn't. Uh, so, but now before you rush to judgment, let's just be honest about how visually unattractive guacamole is, okay? Like when it's put out, no one's like, that's gorgeous. Just beautiful. I have this general rule that anything that looks the same coming up as it does going down, I've got a little bit of a struggle with that. But I still remember being on a date with Tammy at Chipotle, which she refers to Chipotle's guacamole as the the gateway guac. So I was on a date with Tammy. (laughs) It's a thinker. Sit with it for a sec. You'll get it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I remember when she learned I had these very deep feelings uh, about guacamole and that I had never even tasted it. So I have this prejudice, and I'd never even tried it. It wasn't even for good reason. And so thankfully, she had zero tolerance for that kind of childish behavior. And uh, the combination of her confidence that I was going to like it and then my unrelenting desire for her to love me, the combination... <laughs> of those two things convinced me to try it. And I'm not going to lie, I was very nervous. Way more nervous than a 25-year-old man should be trying guacamole for the first time. Because, like, the only thing that I could imagine that would be worse than her thinking, like, that I was a child for not trying this was trying it and then gagging in front of her. I just did not feel like that was going to be a good look. But I'm proud to say I summoned the courage that day. I lifted the chip. I took the bite. And it was like seeing color for the first time. And in that moment, my heart, my mind, and my mouth finally opened to something that I had once been inclined to resist. And so on that day, I learned the importance of staying open to ideas and possibilities and experiences to which I might feel an inclination to resist. Now, here's why I bring up this silly example. There is so much about building formative friendships, which, again, we have defined as men and women living in the open together for the shared purpose of growing in Christ-likeness. There's so much about building formative friendships 
to which we are understandably inclined to resist. It's understandable. See, like, for instance, for some of us, we've never actually experienced this time of, type of relationship, and so we are, at best, cautiously optimistic. Furthermore, formative friendships require some things from us. They require things like courage and strength, patience and sacrifice, intentionality and vulnerability, and all of that is very, very hard. And finally, some of us have, have tried to build these types of friendships, and we have experienced heartbreak or harm in the process. And so my point is this, even if the idea, even if the idea of, of having a few trusted people with which to live in the open and become more like Jesus, even if that sounds compelling to you, and my guess is that sounds compelling to most of us, even if that sounds compelling, we are often closed off to some of the very choices that those types of relationships demand from us. And so as we come back to our current study, we are met with an invitation to which, once again, we might be inclined to resist. And so this morning, I want to talk about welcoming the stranger, welcoming the stranger. So if you have a Bible or an app that you're going to read along on, go ahead and go back to Luke 24. This is where we're spending the majority of this series together. We're going to be in just verses 15, 16, and 17 this morning. And before we push ahead in Luke 24, I want to just recall where we left off last week. So I want you to remember that contextually what's taking place here is this is, this is all set on the first Easter morning, the day of Jesus' resurrection. And the disciples, again, are in a state of what we called liminality. They are in this space between what was and what will be, what they believed to be true, all they had expected, all that they hoped would happen, all of that ended up dying with Jesus on that cross. And then to complicate matters, three days after his death, these women show up claiming that Jesus had risen from the dead and no one knows what to make of any of this. The world that they had known had come to a close. And the world that was to come was hazy and unclear at best. And so as these two disciples make their way to a town called Emmaus, Luke tells us that they're discussing everything that had taken place when a stranger approaches them there. So look with me now at verse 15. It starts like this, and it says, And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. So I want you to just consider the mental and the emotional context of this interaction. The world as these two disciples had known it was over. Everything was upside down for them. They are confused. They are grieving the loss of Jesus, and they are immensely discouraged. And in the midst of this, Jesus himself draws near, and he proceeds to insert himself into their conversation. Now, as we see a few times after his resurrection, sometimes Jesus' appearance, something about his appearance was unfamiliar to them, which happens, again, a couple of times in the New Testament. So as Jesus comes walking up, they don't recognize him. They don't know it's him. All he was to them was a stranger, and I would argue kind of a rude one at that, because who just inserts themselves like this? Well, apparently me, because 
I remember being at a ministry conference years ago when just across the main exhibit hall, I saw a few of the leaders in the church planting network of which I was newly a part. Now, to really understand the awkwardness of this whole situation, you need to understand I planted my first church when I was 27 years old, and I had no seminary education. And I planted with an intensely theologically pretentious network. And so even though I was well-read and I'd worked really hard to to make up on my own the uh, traditional education that I lacked, I I always felt like the dumbest kid in the room. And I just had this really deep imposter syndrome that I just couldn't shake. But I see these guys across the exhibit hall, and I, despite my insecurity, decide, you know what, I'm just going to go over there, I'm going to introduce myself, and I'm going to tell them how much I appreciate them. And so I started to walk across this room. And I I have to tell you, I was second-guessing myself with every step I took. So I, I get about halfway there, I see the three of them are standing in this like horseshoe shape, and they're having a conversation. When I come walking up and I stand, what I can only describe as just way too close to them, like way too close. There, there is a, there's like a distance that you can stay from, from people and they get the sense like, well, this person's waiting to talk. I was like three or four steps beyond that. I just, I just turned their horseshoe into a full-blown huddle and it was so, so awkward. And so they finished their conversation probably quicker than they were anticipating and they turn and they look at me. And instead of introducing myself and telling them how much I appreciated them, I just stood there and I said nothing. Just, just awkwardly stood way too close, listening in on their conversation. And so after a few of the longest seconds of my life, they just turned around and walked away. <laughs> and I, I still, I was laughing about it this week, thinking about like, I wonder what they were talking about as they walked away. Like they had, like somebody had like, was that, was that guy with you? Like, no, we thought he was with you. Because remember, they had, no, they had no idea who I was. I just rudely inserted myself into their conversation, and that is exactly what Jesus does here. And so now, especially when you think about the emotional state that these guys are in, you th- you'd think that they would have been like, yeah, we're not really interested in having some rando a part of our, our, our traveling group, and that they would have rejected him. But es- because especially in seasons that again, we've described as liminality, we have a tendency to circle the wagons relationally. Meaning, when we're in a season like that where we feel very disoriented and uncertain, we tend to stick with what we know. And we stick with the people that we know. What we're not prone to do is to spend a bunch of time with new people, and we certainly don't make it a habit in those seasons in particular of hanging out with strangers. But here's what we have to see. Had they resisted this stranger, they would have missed an opportunity to have a transforming encounter with Jesus himself. And we're going to give more attention in the next couple of weeks to what we can learn from the very careful and skillful way that Jesus proceeds to draw them out in this conversation. But today, I just want us to see the significance of their willingness to simply welcome this stranger. And so here's here's what we see in this story and the big idea for you and I today. God uses the stranger in others to sanctify us. God uses the stranger in others to sanctify us. Now, I want to talk about this term stranger for a second because the stranger can be a person you literally don't know at all, like we see here in this Emmaus encounter. It could be a brand new relationship, but the stranger can be more than that. 
It can even be something in a friend that is foreign to our understanding. The stranger is everything in another that differs from us. Different experiences, different perspectives, maybe we're in a different life stage, we have different opinions, and God uses the stranger in others to sanctify us. But the challenge is our commitment to comfort compels us to keep the stranger at bay. And so we have to see that there is at least the potential that this reluctance inside of us to welcome the stranger is actually resistance to the sanctifying work that God wants to do in us through them. And so embracing discomfort and learning to welcome the stranger and others into our lives, it demands that we find deep meaning in doing so. Like one thing I know, anytime we're going to do something difficult, something uncomfortable, something hard, you have to have a really clear why to motivate you to actually do it. Because in general, we're not looking for uncomfortable situations to place ourselves in. So you have to have a really, really deep why. And so let me just highlight for you briefly three reasons that it is worth welcoming the stranger in our lives. Okay, here's the first one. Number one, we've all been the stranger and wanted to be welcomed. We've all been that. We've all been the stranger. So think about your first day at a new school. Think about your first day at a new job, in a new neighborhood. Think about your first day. Some of you are having this experience right now. Think about your first day in a new church. Walking into any environment as a stranger is terribly uncomfortable. Furthermore, we all have parts of our own experience, parts of our own story that we have never even shared with another. And in either case, all we long for is to experience welcome from others. And that's why I think it's so important that we pay attention to Jesus' words in Luke 6.31. He said, just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. And so if we long to have the opportunity of If we long for the stranger in us to be welcomed by others, it follows that we should take seriously the opportunity to welcome the stranger in others. So three reasons it's worth welcoming the stranger. Number one, we've all been the stranger and we've all wanted to be welcomed. Secondly, when we welcome the stranger, we actually welcome Christ. When we welcome the stranger, we welcome Christ. There's this very interesting passage In Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 to 40, I want you to listen to what Jesus says. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So what that means is, in Jesus' kingdom, the way that we treat others is the same way that we treat him. And so we honor Christ when we honor one another. And we welcome Christ in our lives when we welcome the stranger. So from Jesus' perspective, our treatment of others is unequivocally tied to our treatment of him. 
Three reasons it's worth welcoming the stranger. First, we've all been the stranger and wanted to be welcomed. Secondly, when we welcome the stranger, we welcome Christ. And then thirdly, the stranger is an essential ingredient for transformation. The stranger is an essential ingredient for transformation. So think about this like a recipe. A great recipe is comprised of a combination of complementary but differing ingredients. So we all know this, but if a, if, if, if a recipe is all salt, that's not going to work. If it's all garlic, if it's all basil, it's not going to work. It's the mixture of ingredients that makes a recipe work. And in the same way, there is something about welcoming the stranger, whether that's in the literal sense or simply welcoming the stranger in those we know, that is essential to our own transformation. We need different, not just the same. And that's becoming increasingly difficult as we look at the ways that our culture continues to fracture and polarize and, and everybody can only ever be around people that look just like them, think just like them, sound just like them. And we need to see that's not just like a political social problem, it's a deeply spiritual problem as well. We need different. We need different personality types. We need different interests. We need different convictions. We need different experiences. These are the very ingredients that Jesus uses to form us in his image. And so the reason that it's worth welcoming the stranger is that we've all been the stranger and wanted to be welcomed. When we welcome the stranger, we welcome Christ. And then lastly, the stranger is an essential ingredient for transformation. And so as it turns out, the very stranger we're prone to avoid is in fact a means of God's sanctifying grace in our lives. So the question is, will you remain open to welcoming whatever stranger God may put in your path. And you know, as I've been sitting with these verses and ideas the last few weeks, I can't help but just over and over again think about how many of these principles have been evident in my own friendship with Pastor Tyler. As most of you know, this is Pastor Tyler and I, uh, we did not go to prom as dates. I just, if you're wondering, I know it looks like that. I'm not that there, I mean, he's a great date. I've been on lots of fun dates with him, but we didn't go to prom together, okay? I did have a, a, a girl that I went with. You're like, are you sure? Because it doesn't seem like it. So, <laughs> now, as most of you know, Tyler and I have been friends since high school, so we met on the football field his eighth grade year, my ninth grade year. And even though we played football together, surprisingly, it was choir that ended up being the start of our friendship. Now, just full disclosure, I did not join choir because I loved choir. I did not join the choir because I cared at all about it showing up on my transcripts for college. That was the farthest thing from my mind. I joined the choir for one reason, Jessica Cook. That was the only reason. There was this, this one girl who was in the choir, and I knew if I was in the choir too, it just bought me a little bit more face time with her. And so we went to this small Christian uh, high school, and one of our weekly periods was filled with an all-school chapel. And so one day, out of nowhere, Tyler comes up and he goes, hey, you want to sing a duet with me in chapel? Now, here's what is amazing about that. Tyler and I had never even really hung out. We hadn't been like going to the weight room for football together. We were like weightlifting buddies. We weren't hanging out on the weekend. 
It wasn't like we were besties and, and we both sang. And so he was like, well, you know what the obvious next step in our friendship would be? <laughs> None of that had happened. His idea for a first step toward friendship was asking me to sing a duet with him in chapel. Now, me, a very insecure jock who was only in the choir as a sad attempt at wooing the affection of Jessica Cook. So he came and asked. It was a bold choice. Credit where it's due. It was a bold choice. And out of guilt, I said, sure, with no intention of ever actually singing this duet. And so I remember he, he even we set up a time that we were going to rehearse it after school, and I remember that day because I snuck out of school early to avoid seeing him in the hallway. He literally finds me in the parking lot getting into a friend's car and practically drags me back inside to sing this song. Now, here's the thing. Everything inside of me resisted the stranger in him. I did not know him. We had little to no natural affinity. He loved choir and theater. I loved football and Jessica Cook. But, but had I refused to sing this Jeff Moore and Stephen Curtis Chapman duet, which we freaking crushed, by the way, <laughs> had I gotten into that car and continued to resist the invitation of God to welcome this stranger in my life, or had he resisted welcoming the stranger in me into his life, I would have missed out, truly, on the most formative friendship in my life outside of maybe my wife. That song and the friendship that came with it is what started me on the path to becoming a worship leader. Being a worship leader is what led to me being a worship pastor, which led to me being a teaching pastor and then a church planter. And all of that started by reluctantly welcoming a stranger into my life when I was 14 years old. And so the real question is, are we willing to remain open to welcoming the stranger despite feeling an inclination to resist? And so I I understand that this can be a little uncomfortable because this is such an intimate space, but I want you to take just a second, just look around this room just for a second. Like actually look around the room. If you're in the front row, you're going to have to turn your head, okay? Look around the room. In this room, in this room are people that you know. And in this room are people that you don't know. And furthermore, I would argue that that inside, even the people you know are parts of their life that are currently a stranger to you. And so it, it could be that God has placed one of the people in this room, has placed them here in your life to be a deep source of formation for you. And so you want to know what just a super like low-hanging fruit, practical way that we can begin to take steps in welcoming the stranger. If you haven't yet, you can sign up to come to family night next Sunday evening. From 4.30 to 7, we're going to be at a park. Tyler got a shelter just down the street from here. He and his team are going to make chicken tacos, so you just can come, bring some dessert, and hang out and get to know some people. And that, in and of itself, is just one simple way that we can begin to take steps in this direction. And so I want you to listen again to this question, and I want you to really reflect on it. Will you remain open to welcoming the stranger despite feeling an inclination to resist? And I pray that you will, because it could just happen. They could just happen to be your guacamole. So open your heart, open your life, 
trust that God has put people in your path, will put people in your path for a specific reason because he intends the stranger in others to be a means of sanctification in us. Let's pray and ask that God would give us the courage to open our hearts and we'll spend some time doing some Q&A in just a moment. Father, thank you again that you have not designed us to walk through life alone. You designed us for deep and meaningful relationship with you, with ourselves, and with one another. And Lord, we just acknowledge that there there is something that is so necessary about having other people walk with us when it comes to us experiencing transforming and healing relationship with you. But there is much in us that resists opening ourselves up to others. And so we just ask you for help. Help us to embrace that deep longing in all of us for deeper relationship with others. And I pray that that longing would give us the strength, would give us the courage, would give us the willingness to begin slowly but intentionally opening our lives to others, even those that we may not know whether that be something in another that we are unaware of or that is different than us or an actual person that we don't know, we have no relationship with. Lord, every single friendship has started with two people as strangers. And so I pray that you would give us the ability to discern when you have put a stranger in our path that you are inviting us to welcome into our hearts and into our lives. Would you help us 